you out there doing your best to get on with life? Because, as you already know, it's what you make of your life that really counts. And sometimes having a few shortcuts to help you on your way can be very useful. The NLP Matters podcast might just be the toolbox you need to focus your attention, your effort, your drive onto what really does make the difference. Built on the foundation of neuro-linguistic programming, the NLP Matters podcast offers proven recipes you can use to create and sustain your life your way. G'day and welcome to the NLP Matters podcast. I'm your host, Joe Clark. In the last few episodes which Peter's been delivering on my behalf, We began the season three of our NLP Matters podcasts, and in this season we're delving into the totally fascinating workings of the human mind and examining things like what NLP has to say about consciousness, thinking and communication. Today we'll discuss in more detail how we construct our internal representation of the world and the process of filtering information in. So let's jump right into the deep end, shall we? In the previous episode, we discussed how as humans we use our senses and neurology to construct an internal version of an external reality. We also said that by definition, each of these internal representations or maps of the world are different and unique. And today we're going to look in more detail at how this actually works. The first thing we need to know about this process is that there's lots of information available to us in the external environment, moment to moment. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. So much so that it's physically impossible for our senses to take all this information in. And because we cannot process the sheer volume of information available, we go through a process of selecting the information that we will take in, the information that we notice. Whilst the other stuff is filtered out, we don't notice it. And that's a good thing because as human beings, if we spend all our focus and energy trying to process every bit of information in the environment, we'd never get anything else done. In fact, we'd probably go a bit crazy and be totally overwhelmed just trying to do it. So instead, we've developed some really cool strategies that run unconsciously to rapidly filter through all the information available to us, which means we can then operate much more efficiently and effectively. This filtering process allows us to select information that we believe at an unconscious level is important to us. At a very fundamental level, you could say our very survival depends on this filtering system working efficiently and effectively. As humans evolved throughout time, we needed to be able to tell quickly which bits of information indicated a threat, which indicated food, which indicated a potential mate, and what presented as something important or useful for us to learn. Without our quick and effective filtration system to assist us, we would have had to pour over every single bit of information in the external environment And whilst we were busy doing that, it's most likely we would have succumbed to the threat or starved 
or not been able to reproduce and never learnt anything useful in our entire lives. Now for modern humans, although this filtering process is maybe not so preoccupied with the threat of saber-toothed tigers, it does have profound implications for how we construct our experience of reality and what we make it mean. One that we covered in our previous episode was where we referred to the work of German biologist and expert in semiotics, Jacob von Yuxkong, who described how humans turn physical stimuli through our senses into meaning. And he importantly said we have no idea we're doing it moment to moment. In other words, it's totally unconscious. And then we act as if what we perceive is reality, rather than just our perception of reality and our subsequent interpretation of it. Today, we'll look at precisely how much information we do filter in, and in contrast, how much we don't notice. These numbers really reveal just how inaccurate our experience of reality must be because our portion, the portion of reality that we notice, is so tiny in contrast to the amount of information available to us in the environment in general. What we believe is reality is in fact only a very small slice of what we have noticed that's out there in the big wide world. And it's important to remember that we apply this misconception that our reality is in fact reality all the time. In fact, we have to because we only have what we perceive to construct our reality from. For example, we often act as if an external event causes us to feel a particular way. We see this in the language we use to describe our feelings. We say, you made me feel hurt or sad or happy, when in fact our emotions are simply a response to the internal representation we construct from filtering in information about the external events. And if we're filtering in information, we must also be filtering out information. In fact, we're filtering out a lot more than we're filtering in. In other words, our emotions, how we feel, are a direct response to what we are thinking. And they're not a direct response or they're not caused by external events directly. But we act as if when something happens externally, this causes us to feel something. Then our physiology follows suit and we look sad or happy or whatever the emotion is that we're feeling. But it's much more accurate to acknowledge that it is our internal representation or map of the world that we're focused on. It's only a representation of the external environment and it's built on what we filter in. So our emotions are therefore simply a response to our own representation of external events. Now I know this can be a bit mind-boggling and definitely something to stay curious about. In our next episode, we'll delve even further into how this works. So stay curious and make sure you catch that episode as well. But for today, let's just focus on the numbers. Specifically, just how much information is out there in the environment and how much of it can we process. We do have some knowledge from scientific research on the cognitive processing capacity of people. 
which is a fancy way of saying, what are the limitations on how much and how rapidly people process information? It's been estimated that humans are bombarded with about 2 million bits per second. Some of you may be familiar with the book Flow, written by American-Hungarian psychologist Mihai Mutiskihai in the 1970s. In this book, Mihai explains how we estimate that there are at least 2 million bits per second available to us. Amazing, right? Per second. But think about it. When we look at a tree, we've learned to see it as a single thing. But when we start to break that tree down into different bits visible to our eyes, we can quickly see how detailed that tree is. Every leaf and every twig and every branch is unique. Depending on the light the tree reflects, an incredible array of colour and shade. The tree may also be making sounds with the wind, with variations in pitch, volume and tempo. And each part of the tree has texture, temperature and levels of hardness or softness, as well as its aroma. There's so much information to be processed just in a single tree. So now when we add in all the other things that might be in our field of vision at any point of time, not to mention within hearing range, or the tactile information available to us as well, we can begin to see how these 2 million bits per second is possible and may even be an underestimate. Now, from these 2 million bits, we reduce the amount of information to process to around about 130 bits every second. So in order to reduce down to that small volume, some decisions have to be made about which 130 bits of information we'll take in out of the 2 million. Clearly, there's a pretty heavy selection process going on. Now, I'm sure you'll agree that this is much more manageable than 2 million. 130 is much more manageable than 2 million. But 130 is still quite a lot. Just to give you an idea, it takes about 40 bits of information per second just to be able to participate and follow a casual conversation. The sheer volume of information, even at this reduced number, is way too much for us to process. So we've developed a way to manage and reduce this information to an even more manageable volume. And that is by grouping or categorizing the information into chunks. A chunk is where we group information together and then process it as though it's one thing, like the tree we mentioned before. Most of the time we notice there's a tree and that is it. We categorize it so we can process it rapidly. And again, we know from scientific research that on average people can process about seven plus or minus two chunks of information at a time. Professor George Miller's research way back in 1956 explored extensively the processing and memory capacity of people. His research showed us that people who are getting a constant information stream such as we are every day and in every moment of our lives, the most we really can remember in a cognitive test exercise is seven chunks. After that, memory becomes very unreliable. The first five things we remember pretty well. Number six, we have about an 80% chance of recall. And by number seven, we're dropping down to just below 70%. But by eight, nine and ten, you know, we're really hitting rock bottom. 
it's kind of like more luck than good management, if we can recall that information. So remember, this is conscious processing we're talking about here. So we can see that there's a limit there to the amount of information we can process. In fact, knowledge of this magic number seven was one of the key determinants used when people began designing different uses for numbers, such as phone numbers. The first phone numbers allocated were very short, but then we quickly went to seven digits in a phone number. However, as we needed more numbers, they were designed knowing that seven chunks don't have to be seven discrete units. They could be seven discrete chunks. So what does that mean exactly? Well, for instance, we can learn a sequence of numbers like 1, 4, 9 and 2 as single digits. But we can also learn these as a chunk of numbers. For example, we could learn these four numbers as a year, 1492, a single chunk. And it will be easier to remember if we can associate that with some other significant piece of information, like a birthday. Or even if you're a history buff and you know that Christopher Columbus landed in the Caribbean in the year 1492. We can also see the chunking process occurring with young children as they learn. My oldest grandson has just turned three, so every time we go down the stairs, we're counting. One, two, three, four. And he's pretty good up to about 30, because now he has learnt the basic numbers, he's started to group them together. So he's learnt one to ten, and then he learned up to twenty. And now he started chunking the 20s together, 21, 22, 23, and so on. If there's a pattern that he can recall, he applies it to chunking the information. This is similar to learning phone numbers. For example, our mobile phone numbers have a group of four digits, then three digits, and three digits, which means we can learn a mobile phone number in three chunks. A lot of people successfully remember mobile phone numbers in this way. The first four digits is one chunk, three digits is one chunk, and the next three digits is another chunk. And it's interesting to notice if you've used this strategy to recall phone numbers. Now, let's just play with this a bit. If we remember a phone number, and I'll just make it a, a nine-digit number up, like 5,543, 324, 355 and we remember it using the three-chunk method. Then if we meet someone who asks us to confirm the number, but they present it to us as 55, 43, 32, 43, 55, it doesn't match our recall. We can't immediately recognize the number because the way we've coded the chunks doesn't match. Suddenly we're trying to process five chunks, and as we've grouped the numbers together, we need to unpack our chunks and reconstruct them into the new pattern. This process is a much higher cognitive load on our thinking because chunking information makes distinct categories and if we alter the categories or the structure of the categories, then we have to unpack our categories and reorganize the information even though at one level it's actually the same information. Now it's easy to understand how important the magic number 7 plus or minus 2 really is in how we construct our reality. And of course, the plus or minus 2 part is also important 
For example, if we've got a hangover, or if we hadn't had a good night's sleep, or if we've got a young child and we're sleep deprived, we're probably operating at the minus two side, or perhaps even down to only three cognitive chunks available. But if we're in peak performance and we're feeling really good and healthy, we could be up to nine cognitive chunks. Chunking information effectively is the secret to the success of people who are really good at memorizing information. They do it by creating chunks, and they build the chunks so that they contain a lot of information. Anything we learn, we learn by gradually building larger chunks. When we first start learning, every single little step is a chunk we have to think about. But as we learn each component, we begin to group them together until eventually the whole action can become one chunk. A great example is remembering when you learn to drive a car. You might recall how, first of all, every single individual action involved in driving a car took up a chunk. You needed to adjust the seat, turn the key, push in the clutch, start the engine, release the handbrake, look in the rear vision mirror, release the clutch, ease on the accelerator, blinker on, etc., etc. It was absolutely well over seven chunks. No wonder we feel so stressed when we're learning to drive. We get all chunked out. But as we master driving the car, eventually we don't even think about it. So we just jump in the car and drive. It's now automatic. Driving has become one or two chunks instead of a dozen or so. So that's the process we go through in order to manage and make sense of the incredible amount of information that's coming at us moment to moment. With about two million bits of info a second, our internal representation helps us to decide what to focus on. And by chunking relevant information together, we get to process about 130 bits maybe, which is a super efficient system we've set up. But the story of how us humans build our version of reality or our internal representation gets even better. And understanding how this happens means that we can even change our experience of reality just by changing which chunks we're going to pay attention to. Join me in the next NLP Matters episode when we continue our look at this fascinating subject of the human mind. In the next episode, we're going to dive a bit more deeply into the filters we use to construct our reality. So the filters that influence us and determine what are the bits of information that we do pay attention to in contrast to the bits that we miss or delete. Stay awesome, and I look forward to connecting with you in our next episode. Wow, thanks for showing up and listening in. We would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts, ideas, or questions via email to joanne at destinypursuit.com.au. Now it's time to take today's recipe out into your own life. Notice the differences that show up as you apply it. We'd love to hear how you are progressing with your new approach.